like other women that are going through this, you're being told no after no after no, and it just seems hopeless, don't lose hope. I promise there's someone out there that is willing to support you if you are well informed and if you believe in yourself. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Why hello, Healing Trauma Mamas. Welcome back to the podcast today. I'm excited for the guest that we have on today. I've been looking forward to getting to share her story and all the things that she's she's gone through and and how the Lord's helped her been healing through it all. But uh, I we finally get together. We didn't get to come on the podcast, and I'm excited for you all to get to get to hear um, her story. And with that, with that, actually, I want to invite KK onto the podcast here. KK, hi. Hi, Madonna. How are you? I'm doing great. So excited to be here. I have a, a lot to lot to tell with my two birth stories. You sure do. Yeah. So there's there's a whole lot um there and we can just jump right in and and really uh start wherever you would like. I don't know if you'd like to introduce a little bit about yourself first and then jump in. Sure. So I'm KK Lineweaver. I am a functional nutritionist. Um I'm a mom of two, so I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old now. My one-year-old actually just had her birthday this week. Um, Yay! And so I am actually a VBAC mama. So my second story will be about um, my endeavors of finding a provider and um, really the journey that it took to get there, because I do also have a special scar. Um so that was definitely a big obstacle as, and then of course my, uh, my girls are only 15 months apart. So that was another obstacle I had to navigate. Mm. Um, so with my first, I'll go ahead and get started with her. So, sure. um, I found out I was pregnant with her in September of 2020. So of course this was during COVID. So the whole time it was a whole craziness, of course. Um, my husband had been unemployed for about six months. Uh, he lost his job in the oil field due to the economy um, being what it was during the pandemic. Um, and I was starting my last semester of graduate school um, when I found out I was pregnant. And so he was actually starting his new job that first week um, or that the week after we found out that I was pregnant. So I was starting grad school. He was starting a new job and we just found out we were having a baby. Um, and so it was a pretty, pretty wild time, you know, also with COVID and, you know, it was a wonderful, crazy, just unexpected, uh, blessing definitely was a blessing. Um, I had been following uh, a local midwife and her birth center. And so I knew right away I needed to contact her. Um, there was never a doubt in my mind that I wanted, um, to be out of the hospital for my births. Uh, that was something I've known for a long time that I wanted to do that aligned with my beliefs, my values, um, and how I wanted to bring my children into the world. So I contacted the midwife. Uh, we actually went and sat down with her and I actually found out that she was closing down her birth center. Um, so I kind of felt a little bit of loss there. 
but she actually told me that there was another midwife coming to town and she was going to be opening up a birth center. And so I would still have that option and they were going to actually be working together. Um, so I kind of sat in limbo for a little bit and then um, ended up meeting with both the midwives. So the one that I originally met with and then the one that was coming to town. And I had my first appointment. Everything went perfect. Um, it was a great experience. You know, I really got to sit down and learn about the process of working with midwives because I had never really, you know, had any kind of interactions with midwives before this. So it was all new to me. Um, and then about a couple of weeks after my first appointment, I got a call saying that um, I was going to have to pick between the two midwives. So I was either going to have to go with the original one that I met with and do a home birth or go with the new midwife in town if I wanted a birth center birth. Well, my heart was still set on a, on a birth center birth. So I chose mm -hmm. to go that route. Um, I was told the birth center would be built and ready to go by the time baby was here. So everything seemed perfect. It seemed like it was going to align just right. And uh, really my pregnancy, it went, it went really well. Um, I was, I like to describe it as it was just like, I was elated. I was just so happy to be pregnant, growing this life. I, I truly enjoy being pregnant. I really, really like it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such That's a, great. yeah, it's a, it's a special time in a woman's life. And it's, it's a, a phase that I think is underappreciated. Our bodies is, they're doing amazing things. And I just, uh, I want people to remember that. So as I go through my first story, I don't want people to forget that, that it is still amazing and beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see. So you were going back and forth. You thought you were going to get a birth center midwife that you wanted and you couldn't have her. And then you thought you were going to get two different midwives with a brand new birth center opening and then found out you're going to have to pick between the two. One would be home birth. One would be birth center. And you really wanted to have a birth center birth. And so you chose that midwife and your pregnancy was continuing on really well. Yeah. So and I never had, 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 you didn't have any issues. No, yeah. I, you know, I never really suffered from much morning sickness. Uh, I had a little bit um, but with my nutrition background, I knew how to kind of navigate that stuff pretty quickly. So um, anything that ever came up, I was able to, you know, squash it pretty quickly, luckily. Then we nice. got to, um, let's see, it was around March by this time. Um, and we decided to start looking for a house. We were going to buy a house. And being the crazy people that we are, we're like, well, why not go ahead and get a house and have it ready. And then, you know, baby will be here and we'll be good to go. Um, mm -hmm. so I, that was probably the most stress that I had during that pregnancy. And actually, um, so the day before I went into labor, we found out that, uh, the closing paperwork hadn't been done and all this stuff. And so I had that stress come about and I think it actually put me in the labor a little sooner than I would have gone. So stress can do that. Yeah, stress is definitely something we want to manage during pregnancy. So once it once we got closer, uh, we had the issues with the house. Um, everything wasn't going through, and it was just crazy. Um, so I definitely don't recommend trying to buy a house when you're nine months pregnant. 
not the best yeah. thing to do, but uh, we were actually supposed to close on the house like a month or two before that. And it didn't work out that way because the housing market was so crazy that year. Um, so oh, I bet. Yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. Um, so I'll go ahead and get into the birth. So on May 29th, I woke up around, uh, one in the morning and I was having contractions and I was like, okay, this is it. It's going to happen. My husband had to get up for work at three o'clock in the morning. Um, so I was kind of like, mm, should I wake him up yet? Leave him? Like, I don't know if this is the real deal. Um, mm -hmm. eventually I woke him up after about an hour of laying there having contractions and I called the midwife and she told me, get up, move around, see how you feel, see if it continues. And sure enough, I got up, cooked breakfast and everything kind of died down. So I was instructed to walk laps around my yard, um, do some yoga, kind of move things around. We actually went and looked at our new house, um, with my family, they were actually coming into town from four hours away to help us start moving stuff that day uh, mm -hmm. into the house. <laughs> and so we're walking out in the pasture and I'm having contractions every now and again. I'm like, okay, is this going to be it? Is this the time? Are we going to do this? And everything kind of kept fizzling out. Um, so I tried my best to walk that baby out and she was just not ready yet. Oh. So, uh, after a long day of thinking that things were going to move along. Nothing really did. So that night we laid down in bed and my husband and I are talking and, um, he's rubbing my hips. Uh, they were sore after the long day. And then all of a sudden at 12.06 in the morning, my water breaks. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Okay. This is for real now. So I start calling, uh, my midwife. I call my doula and I call my photographer. And so at first I'm like super nervous. I'm just like, oh my God, this is the real deal. Like, is it, how's it going to go? Like I, I was definitely nervous, but then once my doula got there, um, all that kind of fear and worry turned into excitement and joy. And I was just so pumped to be experiencing what I was experiencing. So she That's really kind of helped level me out. Um, and so my family had already came into town um, to help us start moving stuff. So that kind of worked out perfect because they all drove four hours up and they're already there with me while I'm laboring. We're all sitting in the living room. I'm on the birthing ball, um, having contractions. And you know, every time I'd get a little break between contractions, I'd you know, be laughing and joking and smiling. And it was such a wonderful experience. Like I remember it just being like the best way I can describe it is magical. Like it felt magical. Mm. It was, it was like, I was in my place. I was doing what God intended me to do. And then the photographer showed up. Uh, and then a little bit later, the midwife showed up. So when she, so got she home, came to your house. Yeah. So I, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, so what ended up happening was as we got closer to my due date, um, I was told that the birth center wasn't going to be ready. So we had mm. to transition to, um, planning a home birth about a month before my due date. Gotcha. So we kind of had to 
switch over to that. And I mean, I was fine with it at that point. I just wanted, you know, what was, what was going to be best. And for me being out of the hospital was what was going to be best. I just, I don't do well in that kind of environment. It's just too stressful for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I'm someone that has severe white coat syndrome. And so anytime I'd go near a hospital or, you know, even with my midwives, my blood pressure would always be a little bit higher than if I would take it myself. And so I just knew that that type of environment wasn't for me. Um, So either way, I was content with either being at home or being uh, at the birth center at that point. So she gets there um, and she immediately wants to do um, a vaginal exam uh, because she saw that like I was laboring pretty good. Like I was having contractions probably every two minutes, maybe a minute and a half apart. Nice. They were coming on pretty, pretty quick. Um, I progressed very quickly. And, um, so we did the, um, she had me go into the bedroom to lay down. Um, so I took off my underwear and the first thing I saw was something brown. And at that time I was like, what is that? Like, I didn't really think much of it, but it was merconium. And she lays me down on the bed and she starts to check and I see her facial expression just change immediately. Mm. And I could tell something wasn't right. And she tells me, I'm 90% sure that your baby is breech. And so at that point, that magical, whimsical experience started to turn into a nightmare. Mm. Um, Did she just tell you that that immediately meant you had to transfer? She, she told me I had to transfer. And so I asked her, I said, is my only option going to be a C-section? And she told me, yes, that more than likely the doctors would not allow me to, to have my baby breach. And so from that point, it's like the pain of the contractions became unbearable. Like I was tolerating them so well. And it was just that the fear and the, you know, the mental aspect really coming into play that mm-hmm. I didn't have control of this anymore. That everything I had planned for was out the window. And my worst fear, which is, you know, C-section or something wrong with my baby was coming true. And there was nothing I could do about it. And like, I didn't, I didn't pack a hospital bag. You know, my midwife told me, you know, oh, everything's going to be fine. You know, you probably don't even need a hospital bag. It's going to be fine. And so during the rush of all this, I'm like trying to compose myself and tell everyone like, okay, this is where this is. That's where that is. Please get all this. Um, and my family did a wonderful job gathering everything I asked them to and you know, loaded me up into the into the car and taking me to the hospital, which was only a five minute drive. But, um, but yeah, that, that mental aspect, it, it made such a difference when I knew I was going to the hospital and I wasn't having the birth that I had planned for, like it, my tolerance for pain completely changed. You know, I was, yeah. I, I, I was going through the contractions and it was like nothing. It was like period cramps didn't even really face me that much. And then it was just like, I was experiencing the worst pain I've ever been in. Mm. And so we, we got in the car, my sister drove me and my husband to the hospital. Um, 
we got there. Uh, the midwife had already called the hospital and told them we were coming. Uh, she were she arrived not long after us, and so we all got wheeled back together. And of course, they're trying to make us wear masks and you know COVID protocols and everything like that. And I mm -hmm. told the nurse from the beginning, I'm not putting a mask on. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm already in pain. You know, I'm at this point shaking vigorously and just, you know, it was. Did she say um, when your midwife checked you at the house, did she say how far along you were or just that you were breech? Yeah, she she told me I was seven centimeters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So That's I was already I figured. <laughs> yeah, I was already pretty far along. Um, so, yeah, I was I was seven centimeters. Um, and then, I, you know, once we got to the hospital, no one ever checked me again to see how far I had progressed or anything. Oh. Um, so they willed us back. Uh, try to make us wear the mask and all the COVID protocols. But luckily they let my midwife and my husband um, back in the room with us. So once we were in the room, they started um, doing an ultrasound to confirm that the baby was breached. The midwife had told me, you know, if we get there and we find out that baby's not breached, we'll go back to the house. And, you know, we'll continue where we were. She's like, but... I'm pretty certain she's breached. Mm -hmm. So the, the ultrasound confirmed uh, baby was breached. Um, they were doing, you know, asking me tons of questions, filling, telling me to fill all this paperwork. And then the OB comes in and he is wearing what looks like an astronaut outfit. He's wearing oh this my. like helmet with a backpack, like for, for the oxygen instead of wearing just like a regular mask. And I'm just like, what is this? This is so wow. surreal. This is, this is not happening. Oh my gosh, this is not happening. And then I even had a nurse ask me, she's like, all right, I'm going to uh, swab your brain. Are you ready? And I'm just like, what? Mm -hmm. She was talking no. about COVID tests. And I'm like, this is not the time. Oh, wow. Funny. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. So it, it, like, I understand they were trying to kind of make it a little lighthearted and, you know, everything, but I was just like, I was in complete defense mode. Like I yeah. was expecting them to force me to do things I didn't want to do and, you know, trying to coerce me into things. And I'll say the hospital did really good. They really didn't do anything like that. They tried to inform me about things and then allowed me to um, accept or deny certain things. Good. When the OB came in, he told me, um, your baby is breached and you're going to have to go for a C-section. The midwife asked, well, is there any way you'll let her have a trial of labor? And he said, no, because your pelvis isn't proven. Ugh, yeah. Which means I've never had a baby before vaginally. So um, he wouldn't even give me the option. Yeah, it's pretty standard. It's really rare to find a doctor in the hospital that will do breach in the first place, but let alone with a first time mom. Um, and then he uh, proceeded to tell me a few other things. And I had asked him or advised him to give me a um, horizontal double suture um, when he closed me up because I had read in a few different books that for um, vaginal births after C-sections, that gives you a better chance mm -hmm. uh, of not having a rupture. So I had already had that in mind. I never thought I'd have to use that information. Um, 
but it did come in handy. His response was, oh, that's an old wise tale. That there, that's not based in science. And so as, as he's saying this, he's walking out of the room with his back turned towards me. And so I yell back at him, this is my body and this is what I'm requesting and I want you to respect my wishes. And he didn't say anything and he continued to walk out of the room. Ugh. So finally they wheeled me into the OR. Um, it took them a few times to get the spinal in to get me numbed. And then when they were trying to put my catheter in, it actually, um, I guess the saline line or something busted a couple times. And so it was like spraying all over the place. And I just remember like, oh my God, these people are the ones that are going to be cutting me open. <laughs> like, mm. oh, I feel about this. Um, and again, the, the doctor, he finally walks in with his giant astronaut helmet and uh, my husband goes up to him because surprisingly, the they they allowed me to have my husband and the midwife in the OR with me. Um, nice. You know, like with COVID and everything going on. Um, luckily, uh, from my understanding, it was probably because we had a hospitalist and not actual um, yes. local doctors. So they were from the Dallas mm-hmm. Fort Worth area. So they were a little more comfortable with midwives. So he comes in and my husband goes up to him, puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like, Hey, when my wife said that she wanted that horizontal double suture, she meant it. And we would really appreciate it if you respect her wishes. And the OB just kind of looked at my husband and nodded his head. And then they got started. Um, my husband watched the entire time. Of course I had the blue drape up where I couldn't see anything. And I just remember the, the whole time I'm just still shaking like crazy. Um, mm. And, you know, every time they would try to give me medicine or something like that, I'd ask, what is that? And they would tell me, and then my midwife would kind of elaborate on it and just kind of keep us in the know, which I, I really appreciated. Once it was all, all kind of said and done, um, or actually let me, let me back up a little bit. So uh, when they were trying to get my baby out, they were having some trouble. Her head was actually stuck under my ribs. Mm-hmm. And so um, the OB did a very small little nick upwards, which created uh, a T incision. So that's my special scar. I have a, a T incision. And so with doing that, he was able to get her head free, pull her out. And I just remember... Like I couldn't see her, the drape was in the way and they were, you know, taking her over to like the warmer, I guess, and, you know, checking her out and doing everything. And it felt like eternity. Like I thought I was never going to get to see her. And I kept asking, where's my baby? Let me see her. Please let me see her. And the midwife actually took a picture of her and then showed me the picture because they wouldn't bring her to me. Eventually they brought her over. Um, She was perfectly fine, beautiful, healthy six pounds, one ounce, six, uh, 19 inches long, little baby girl. They came over and they put her on my chest. The first thing she did when they gave her to me was kick me in the face. So I always, <laughs> I always think that's so funny. She's like, mom, what, what you doing? What are you doing? Bringing me here. And that's her first, first, first response. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
So they let her sit on my chest uh, while they closed me up. My husband, um, being the protector that he is, watched them close me up like a hawk. He's like, I don't know what I'm watching, but I think they're doing what, what you want them to. And the midwife is like, yes, they're, they're doing the, the horizontal double suture. So you're all good there. And then afterwards, uh, they willed us out. Uh, baby never left our side, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but she was, she was like, like screaming just constantly, like something was just wrong. And we ended up finding out she, she had a neck injury. Um, I guess when they were trying to pull her out, uh, so she was, I imagine in some pain from that, mm. uh, she was having some trouble latching. Um, so that was, that was definitely a struggle right afterwards, just seeing, seeing my, my new little baby in so much pain. Yeah, that's hard. Can't imagine <laughs> after everything else you're already going through and then now you're having to deal with the C-section recovery and you know, the loss of everything that you had planned and then you know that your daughter's in pain too. Yeah, it was a lot to cope with. Uh, And then the the OB comes out and literally right before he comes over to us, my midwife tells me, he's going to tell you you can never have a vaginal birth, but that's not true. Don't believe him when he says that. So I was kind of ready for what he was about to tell me next. He told me about doing the extra incision to get her head out. And he said, because of that, because I have a special scar that it is advised that I never have a vaginal birth that wants a C-section, always a C-section. And even then I refused to believe that. I refused to believe that it was just that simple, that it was, you know, once you've had it done, that's the only way to go. Yeah. So fast forward. Um, we went home, uh, I think I, I went home like maybe a day and a half after she was born. I was (laughs) determined to get out of there as soon as I can. I had a nurse actually tell me, she's like, you know, if you get up and start walking sooner, um, they'll let you go home sooner. You don't have to stay here the whole time. And I was like, what? Like, I didn't know that. Thank you so much. Mm. So I am, I'm grateful for her telling me like, Hey, I know you don't want to be here. You can get out. Just, you know, show them you can walk. So that's what I did. I got up, started walking. I didn't have any pain or anything. So it wasn't too difficult to get up and go. And then once we got home, the same day that we got home from the hospital, um, we closed on our house. So they actually brought the paperwork to our house, um, and let us sign it. So not only did I have a new baby, but now I had a new house too. (laughs) The whole whirlwind. And I mean, she was, my baby was fine. She was healthy, thriving. We did have some lactation struggles at the very beginning. Uh, My milk was, my milk supply was never very good, um, which sadly is common for C-section mamas. And then it was about six months postpartum my milk supply just like almost out of nowhere just like completely dried up I was really struggling with that because I didn't know what was going on you know I already had these feelings of like I failed my baby you know how she entered the world and now I'm not able to feed her and it was it was really hard 
And um, I ended up taking a pregnancy test. And sure enough, I was pregnant. That was Uh, quite a surprise, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it was definitely a surprise. And so I, at this point, I had only had one period. Um, Okay. So (laughs) breastfeeding does not keep you from getting pregnant, guys. Hmm. So I, uh, I had a really hard time, um, you know, navigating that, knowing that, you know, I have this first life and now I'm having trouble feeding her and maintaining her nutrition. And now I'm going to be bringing this other life in. And so the ending of my breastfeeding journey with my first moving into, you know, bringing this second life in was kind of a struggle for me, especially because I knew I had a journey ahead of me. Um, I was told by the midwife that if I had my children less than 18 months apart, she was not going to take me. Um, So I knew that going into it. So after I told my husband, I contacted her and I, you know, told her, I know that you can't take me, but I don't know what to do. I don't want to be in the hospital, but I, I never expected this to happen this soon. And I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what to do. And so I was really seeking her guidance. And so I had a appointment with her. Um, this was the same midwife that I had for my first baby. And she told me that she knew a doctor in Odessa. So Odessa is about um, two, two and a half hours from Abilene where we are. And she told me that we could do co-care. And so she got me set up with this uh, OB in Odessa. And we ended up going there to meet her. During the first, during the first appointment, she actually mentioned induction. Um, so I was like, how's this going to work? Am I going to have to like relocate down here? What are your suggestions? Kind of trying to pick her brain um, about like, how are we going to make this work? And she's like, oh, I wouldn't worry about that. You can come down whenever you're, you know, term and we'll just induce you. And then of course my red flags go up and I'm just like, induce me. And we're talking about that at the first meeting. Wow. Um, yeah. Not okay with that. So at this point, you know, I was, I was feeling trapped because I was told like, you have to have a hospital birth. This is your only option. And this is probably the only doctor that will do it for you. Um, I had actually called the local hospital in town and they told me that per policy, they do not allow births um, or vaginal births after cesarean if they're less than 18 months apart. So not even the hospital in town would let me have my baby vaginally. But with the, when I contacted the local hospital here, I just asked them um, about the interval. So I wanted to see what they had to say about that. And they told me that per hospital policy, it had to be at least 18 months. So my babies were going to be 15 months apart. And so um, the OB in Odessa, um, she was, she, I mean, she was fine with it. She was willing to do it. Just, um, it, I just knew it wasn't the fit for me because again, I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to be in the hospital. And then also with her talking about induction, I knew that once you start one intervention, you're going to have a cascade. 
And that's not what I wanted for my birth. Uh, I wanted the best possible chance of having a vaginal birth after my C-section. And I didn't see that coming from her. And so I went back to the midwife here in town and I told her about that. And I expressed to her that you know, I really want to try to do this outside of the hospital if it's possible. Um, and that's when some fear tactics started to really come into play. She told me that if any midwife took me on, they were reckless and dangerous and weren't good midwives. And that uh, the research shows that I have a very high risk of having a rupture. And so it just wasn't worth it to try to have my baby outside of the hospital. And she actually had, uh, she had texted me a research article after that meeting. And um, I I'm actually very well versed in reading research articles. And so when she sent me only an abstract of the research article, my red flags went up pretty quickly because you can't, you can't gather all the information you need from an abstract when you're reading research. And so in that research, um, it was actually uh, the study name. It was uh, the Joel et al. Uh, it's a 2002 study and it's titled Interdelivery Interval and in Uterine Rupture. And so with the abstract, what you would gather is that I would have nearly um, a three to 5% risk of uterine rupture um, because of my interval. Uh, my the link between my births mm -hmm. but when I dug into the actual study what I found was that the group that they were looking at that were 12 months or less um, between conception there was only 21 people in that in that study group oh wow and then 52 percent of those people those women they were induced and so what I found out about induction with VBAC is that actually uh, increases your risk of uterine rupture. Mm -hmm. And so I, at this point, I really got on this rabbit hole journey of reading research related to VBACs and um, close birth intervals and special scars. And I, like, it became my full-time job essentially to like, read the research, understand my true risk, understand if I was making the right decision or if that midwife was right, that if it, if someone took me, that it was reckless and dangerous. And what I discovered through the research, no, there's not much out there, but there's enough to be able to determine that the studies that are saying that there's, you know, a 5% risk of rupture, they're very skewed. And the research shows that if you're birthing in an environment like a home birth environment, you have a roughly 80% chance of having a success, successful VBAC. Um, and I, that, that was a risk I was comfortable with um, reading all the research. I felt comfortable with, you know, moving forward with finding someone outside of the hospital system. Uh, and I had a couple of good friends one of them was my former doula with my first baby told me, you know, you do have options and they're not just in the hospital, but you're going to have to look for them. 
And so they really kind of lit a fire in me and gave me some confidence that I do have options. Because for a while I was really feeling like I was trapped and had no options. Yeah. Uh, So then did you start interviewing midwives? Yes. So at this point, um, I pretty much cut ties with my original midwife. Um, you know, she, she had also told me that per Texas law, it had to be 18 months apart or a midwife couldn't take you. And so I actually pushed back on that and I'm told her, I read, um, the state laws and it's, it says it's a recommendation, not a law. And that's when she kind of backtracked and was, oh, I, I must have misspoke. And mm-hmm. so that combined with the study, I just felt like I wasn't being given true informed consent and I was being um, fed fear. And I, I don't know if it was because she was fearful or what exactly it was, but it uh, never quite settled well with me that it was a more of a fearful push for me to make a decision um, out of fear. Yeah. Nobody should have to make a decision out of fear. I should be able to look at, you know, all the options and then, you know, be able to make a truly informed decision. Yeah. And so I wasn't given that option with her. And so I knew at that point that she wasn't going to be able to help guide me through this process and give the support that I needed. Um, So I decided to just kind of go out on my own for a little bit and just start trying to contact as many midwives as I could. So I actually emailed, called, um, met with probably as as many as I contacted. It was probably a couple dozen people that I contacted within a three hour radius. Um, Most of them immediately shut me down and said my babies were going to be too close together in age or they didn't feel comfortable with the special special scar, which I, I I totally understand that. And then more of the consensus that I actually got when people would, you know, at least talk to me on the phone or um, meet with me in person was they believed I, I had the ability, my body had the ability to do this, that I could birth this baby naturally, vaginally. Uh, but the, but the common factor was they didn't feel comfortable taking that risk because they had other clients. They had other people that relied on them. And if something happened, you know, I, I was a liability. I was a liability to them. Um, they wished me luck, but told me they weren't the one. So I think that was probably harder than being told I couldn't do it. it was like, you can do it, but I'm not going to help you do it. Hmm. And so that happened probably more times than I can count. So I guess at this point, it was about, I was about 14 weeks pregnant. Um, I still had no plan. I still had no guidance on um, how this birth was going to look, where I was going to be at, who I was going to be doing it with. Uh, Of course, you know, the option of unassisted birth had popped into my mind, but uh, that was no, never anything I was comfortable with. I had some guidelines that I did feel comfortable with, and that was being um, close enough to a hospital that if something went wrong, 
you know, I was within five, 10 minutes of the hospital. Um, and I live out in the country, so I'm about 25, 30 minutes from a hospital. So the idea of an unassisted birth never really sat well with me, especially because I, you know, I, I didn't expect my baby to be breached the first time. Who's to say it wouldn't happen again. Right. So at about 14 weeks, um, I actually met with a midwife um, that lived about an hour from here. She only does home births. And I met with her and this was my first meeting with someone that went really well where it was like, Hey, I think you can do this. And I want to support you through this. You seem like, you know, well enough that you can do this. So why not? The only problem with her was, uh, she had two other clients that had due dates about the same time as me and they were family friends. And she said, I can't guarantee that I'll be able to make your birth. So you may be getting, um, my assistant instead, if I'm not able to make it because these other people live so far away. And so I thought I finally had an opportunity to work with someone local. And then it, it became uncomfortable knowing that I might not have the person that I thought I was going to have. Um, so I was kind of hesitant on like committing to it because it's like, you know, I get to it again, you know, when it's go time, well, this unexpected or this person I've never met before, maybe the one coming and delivering my baby. And she doesn't have the same experience as, you know, the midwife that I'm meeting with. So I kind of sat on that and I prayed on it. And after a while, I ended up getting back to her and told her I wanted to keep her as an option um, if I couldn't find anything else. But I didn't feel comfortable with her possibly not being there. Yeah. So the next thing that I did was I found a midwife in the Fort Worth area. So that's about two and a half hour drive from us. Uh, I went up to this birth center and was told again, I think you can do it. There should be no problem. I'd love to assist you, but just to kind of cover my butt, I want you to go meet with this MFM and I want you to have this special ultrasound done to see how thick your scar is. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll jump through the hoops. I'll do what you want. Like, I just want a plan. I want something solid. I want someone that believes in me and is committed to this as much as I am. And she seemed like she was. She prayed with us at the end and I appreciated that. And she, you know, prayed that we had guidance on what to do. And then oddly enough, she ghosted me. I never heard from her again. She wouldn't respond to my text messages. She wouldn't answer my calls. And so I, again, I, I just felt, yeah, I just felt this like abandonment. Goodness. It's so, stressful just listening to your story of how many times that you have been trying to advocate for yourself and find a provider who will respect your wishes. And at every turn, you're you're left again with no answers and nobody that will come help you. Yeah. 
Yeah, it it was it was a long journey. <laughs> and so like other women that are going through this, you're being told no after no after no. And it just seems hopeless. Don't lose hope. I promise there's someone out there that is willing to support you if you are well informed and if you believe in yourself. If you know your risk and you're comfortable with your risk, there's going to be someone out there that's going to support you. If they're a true believer in a woman, you know, taking charge of her body and knowing what is best for her and her baby, they they will work with you. I promise there's somebody out there. They just, you got to turn some stones to find them. <laughs> Yeah. It sounds like you were turning over every stone you could. I was, I, I met with people in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I met with people in Odessa Midland area, uh, Lubbock, Austin, Waco, Round Rock. I, I went all over or halfway over Texas determined to find someone that our values aligned, our thoughts aligned. And every time I went in with, you know, a research backing of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like I knew what I've read. I knew the research. I knew my risk and I was comfortable with my risk. It was just about finding someone that was comfortable with that risk too, is really what it came down to. Yeah. So after that, um, being kind of ghosted by the midwife in, in the, um, the Fort Worth area, I actually finally got collect connected with some local midwives. Um, one of them was actually the midwife I had originally met with, with my first daughter that her birth center was closing um, and she was becoming strictly a home birth midwife. Uh, so I actually reconnected with her. It took a little bit. I think her like Facebook got hacked or something like that, or like her accounts were hacked and I was having trouble getting yeah. older. Finally, I got a hold of her. Uh, I was about 16 weeks pregnant at this point. And um, (laughs) I think it's interesting. She told me she wanted to meet with us because she wanted to see if we had done our research. And I told her, well, that's why I want to meet with you to see if you've done your research on (laughs) BVAX. Nice. uh, Sure enough, she was well-informed. She knew, you know, not only the research behind VBAX, but also a lot of the legal stuff. And so she sat down, set us down and really explained that and like pretty much kind of told us like, Hey, the reason why all these midwives are scared to work with you is because, you know, they don't want to lose their business. They don't want to lose their career. And I totally get that. I understand that hundred percent, but that doesn't make it any easier on me. Right. No, it doesn't at all. So she, she told me, um, she didn't feel comfortable necessarily, uh, being the one to assist the birth, but she did know someone in the Lubbock area that had worked with similar cases. And that may be more open to working with me. And she's like, we can do co-care that way. You don't have to drive to Lubbock all the time. And I'm like, great, let's try this. Let's go this route. Let's see what happens. And so I connected with the midwife in Lubbock, um, got scheduled to go meet her. And during all this, I'm in like a bunch of different Facebook groups, the social scars group, DFW midwives group. And I'm, you know, 
pouring my heart out, trying to find someone to connect with and maybe someone that could help. And I actually had a midwife from Rockwall, which is, I believe, northeast of Dallas, Mm -hmm. reach out to me. And she was a nurse midwife. And she told me that she she really thought it was honorable of how I was going about, about trying to find someone so, you know, passionately. And she said, I know I'm not very close to you, but I want you to know that you do have options and I will be one of your options. And so, of course, we talked about everything, you know, my scar and what I went through. And she was still like, if you're comfortable with your risk, I'm comfortable with your risk. And you can come to my house and you can, you know, have that baby here. Like, but wow. I want you to try to find someone closer. I want you to make it easier on yourself if you can. And so this is someone I've never met. Like I talked to her two or three times on the phone and she was just open and she was a true birth advocate. She was, it was just a breath of fresh air to be able to talk to her and just find out that there are people that don't think I'm crazy. <laughs> like I That's great. felt like after 16 weeks, I wasn't crazy <laughs> for wanting to do what <laughs> I thought was best. I mean, even though I know she was far away, but somebody who was willing to honor your request and respect that you understood all the risks that you were taking, which, which I completely like, if you have done so much research and you're like, I know the risk and I'm okay with the risk. I just need somebody willing to help me. I mean, to me, that's, that's an amazing client because we, we want our clients to be as informed as possible. And I don't think there's anybody else out there more informed than you were about your situation. Yes. Like I said, it was a full-time job. I was like, if I wasn't tending to my child, I was reading research studies related to vaginal births after cesareans. Like I was fully committed to know what was out there? What research were people reading? Why were people so confused about everything and why everyone thought it was so dangerous to do what I was doing? And I honestly, I found out it was just a lot of misinterpretation of research. So then that's how regulations and rules and like you were talking about the state law, that's how that kind of that stuff gets all mixed up when people misunderstand the research. And so it's not even valid of the concerns that they're giving. Exactly. Yeah. And so that, you know, that was kind of a tell for me too, that, you know, I would talk to some people and I would ask them about certain things and kind of get their feedback. And then I would realize they're not as informed as they should be on this matter. So maybe they're not even like, even if they consider me, maybe they're not a very good option because they're not as well informed. Yeah. So at a certain point I did get a little bit pickier um, as options started to open up for me, but that took a while for options to open up. Yeah. So I finally had, you know, one kind of solid option, which was the midwife in Rockwall. Um, and possibly this midwife in Lubbock. So I finally went to Lubbock. I met with her and it was a wonderful meeting with her. Uh, We really aligned on a lot of our values, how we felt about things. The only thing that she told me was, is that for her to be able to take me and feel comfortable taking me is if I met with an MFM in town and she gave approval for me to do a birth center birth. Like, okay, awesome. 
like, let's do that. Like, I'll have that meeting. And the way she explained it is, like, she shouldn't have any issues giving you approval. Like, it'll be kind of a, like, like, I don't think you necessarily should do that, but it's your choice kind of thing. Well, sadly, it didn't quite go that way. Uh, once I met oh, with the yeah. NFM, uh, she sat me down and read over my operative report from my first birth. And in that operative report, the doctor, when he was discussing my T incision, only said very small T incision. So what does that mean? And that's what the <laughs> NFM wanted to know. Like, what the heck does that mean? Like, are we talking about a full classical scar that's going all the way up your abdomen? Are we talking about like a couple of centimeters or like millimeters? And so because of that, she told me that she was basing my rupture risk on having a classical incision. What she told me was I had a 10% risk of having a uterine rupture, which is extremely high. And she said without having the exact measurement, there was no way she was going to change her mind. And so this was supposedly like a super VBAC friendly hospital in Lubbock. Um, but she said, because of how high that risk, my risk was, um, the hospital policy would not allow her to even have, wouldn't even allow me to have a Tolex. So a trial of labor after cesarean and told me my only option was a C-section in the hospital. Goodness. And so I immediately called the midwife after the appointment and I told her what she said. And I knew what situation I was in without her even having to say it. And she told me, well, we have a, an ultrasound next week. We'll talk more then. But I already knew the OB didn't sign off and she wasn't going to take me. So I was in limbo again. I wasn't sure what to do. So that week until my ultrasound, it just dragged on. Like I didn't think it was ever going to come. And at this point, like I just felt hopeless and lost and just, I, I was at this point thinking about giving up, just giving up and just, you know, go with what's easy. And what was easy was just going with someone in the hospital and just, you know, accepting it. And I really had to talk myself out of that, that that's, that's not the person I am. That's not how I navigate things. I know this is hard, but we still have options. I was still reaching out to more midwives. I was calling and emailing and texting and just trying to find someone that understood. Yeah, I'm sure. And there's probably... I've heard with other women before. So why wouldn't you just accept the C-section, plan it and go ahead and, you know, go on instead yeah, of all the work. My big thing was, I know how important the way you come into this world is for your health. So that mm-hmm. was a big driver to me is I wanted to give my babies the best possible start to life that I could. You know, yep. your, your immune system is largely based off of your microbiome. Well, your microbiome is largely based off of how you were brought into this world. And so I always kept that in mind that, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about they, they went for their VBACs, you know, for them. And of course, part of that 
is true for me, but I think my main driving factor was my baby. And I wanted to give her the best possible start and bringing her into the world vaginally and in a relaxed, calm environment. You know, to me, there was nothing, nothing more important than that. As long as we were both safe. Yeah. What an amazing mama you are to go through all, all the work and the just uh, all the struggles, the ups and the downs and the yes and then the no and then everything back and forth and back and forth just to try to get that good start for your child. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, to to call it a roller coaster is <laughs> probably the best <laughs> way to describe this journey because I've never had so many highs and lows and highs and lows <clears throat> and it. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> it's probably one of the wildest roller coasters you've ever, oh, yeah. anybody's ever seen. <laughs> Hold on tight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the journey continues. You've been yeah. searching and searching and searching. Yes. And so I finally, that long week of waiting till that ultrasound, that 20 week ultrasound finally came and I'm a little bit superstitious. And it was on the 13th. And so I kind of had this negative mindset that I was trying to shake really, really hard. That I was only going to get bad news. It's Friday. I don't even know if it was Friday, but it was the 13th. And I was like, you know, everything so far is just, I've been let down and let down. And, you know, what if I find out my placenta is over my scar or something? Because I, I knew I had an interior placenta. And so I was, you know, concerned that I might have a... Uh, going blank on what it's called, Acreta or Previa. Yes. previa. Well, it, yeah, a Previa would be where it's over it. Acreta would be where it's growing into the wall. Gotcha. So I was really concerned about that. And so I, I tried so hard to shake this negative mindset that I was going into this. And my husband is an amazing man and he is so good at helping me balance all this. And I'll say my husband was a hundred percent supportive of all this. He was with me through every appointment, driving to the Metroplex to Waco and Lubbock and everywhere. He was ride or die. He knew I was serious about this and he knew I was very well researched and he knew that I would only do what I thought was best for our family. So ride or die, hands down an amazing husband get you one if you don't have awesome one. It's amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> I completely agree with you and um so you know we're driving in Lubbock and we're kind of trying to talk through like we know we're going to be told that she's not going to take us on so what's going to be our next move and you know we sat and we prayed and we asked for guidance and we asked for a healthy baby that the ultrasound was going to be you know, no issue. And it, it would just be a wonderful experience. And it ended up being a great experience. Uh, I got to see my baby for the first time. And she was happy, healthy. And, you know, I was elated about that. But then, of course, after the ultrasound, we had the hard talk of, again, being told, I, I completely believe that your body can do this, that you can do this but I have too much on the line to risk it. Um, you know, she told me she has people that come all the way from New Mexico to be able to birth with her. And, you know, she's got this thriving practice 
and she's just, you know, it's kind of the situation of you have a bus full of kids and there's someone in the road. Like, do you save the bus full of kids or do you save the person in the road? And I was the person in the road. And so it was kind of the, you know, sacrifice this one person to save the majority. Yeah. And so that was hard to kind of take in and process. Uh, before we even left Lubbock, though, I got a call from a, a midwife in Waco. And the conversation just, it seemed too good to be true. Uh, she was on board. She told me that she, you know, if I understood my risk and I was comfortable with it, she would have me um, sign some paperwork and, you know, kind of just dot her I's, cross her T's to pretty much get around the legal issues she was concerned about. So she was well-versed in the legal aspects. She was like, I have lawyers in my family. I'm not worried about it. Like, we'll cover our butts. I'll cover my butt. Like, we'll make it work if this is what you want to do. She's like, of course, I still want to meet you first. I'm like, I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I want to make sure your husband's on the same page. Because if your husband's not cool with all this, she's like, I'm not going to take you. Yeah. Of course, I wouldn't worry about that. My husband, like I said, ride or die. So I had a really hard time um, accepting that I had a possible option. Um, I wasn't allowing myself to get happy about a possible option at this point because I had so much on you know, the roller coaster. And it was, I don't know, I guess it was my pr protective me mechanism that I felt like I needed yeah. to protect myself from those high and lows and also my baby, because when you're feeling all these emotions and you're having all these chemicals releases and these hormones, your baby's getting all that. And I kept that in my mind too. Like I need to make sure I'm not stressing out too much because it's going to affect my baby. I mean, it's essentially programming your baby, what you're going through during your pregnancy encodes them in a way. It's mm -hmm. super fascinating. So um, I, at this point also I had started doing some, uh, I was doing co-care with the local midwife that introduced me to the Lubbock midwife. And so, um, I had actually got a call from her too, right after I got off the phone with the midwife in Waco. And she had actually talked to a few people in town and some people that worked in the hospital and found out that the OB that delivered my firstborn had actually been fired not long after I had my daughter. Um, I don't know really? what or why he was fired. Um, but apparently he was well known for not doing the best job. And mm -hmm. so this midwife, um, she had seen everything I've already gone through. She had been working with me to find someone that was comfortable with my situation and she just got to the point where, you know, I told her what happened with the midwife in Lubbock too. And she just kind of threw her hands up and was like, you know what? This is bull crap that this is happening to you. You were robbed and it shouldn't be happening like this. She's like, I will, I will support you. You know what? I, I know there's risk, but I'm going to support you if you want to accept me as your midwife. And so you know, now I have two options and it just like, it, it came about like 
within hours of finding out that for sure I wasn't going with the Waco midwife. And it was like, oh my gosh, everything is starting to align a little bit. Maybe there is, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this is an option. And I'm going to be able to have this baby outside of the hospital. So it, it's crazy to think that within the same day, all my options fell apart. But I had a completely new set of options pop up within that same day. That's great. Yeah, it, it didn't feel real. Um, and again, I was still guarding myself and not allowing myself to be happy, I guess you could say. But my faith was back. I had faith and I felt hope. Um, which goes a long ways. It really does. For sure. Absolutely. So at this point, it's, um, I'm about 24 weeks pregnant. And I finally had my first meeting with the Waco midwife. So for 24 weeks, I've been pretty much kind of bouncing around with providers, meeting tons of different midwives, meeting with MFMs, meeting with OBs. And it, it was, uh, it was hard to accept that this one was going to work out, but we, we got to Waco, uh, which is about a three hour drive for us. And I came with, you know, a binder of information and telling her, this is what I was basing everything off of. This is, you know, what I expect my risk to be. And this is what, you know, my concerns are. This is what, um, you know, the, these are the boxes I want to check. I want to be within five to 10 minutes from a hospital. I want a midwife that is um, trained and breached and in VBACs. And I want someone that supports me wholeheartedly and understands what I'm doing. And she did. And she was completely on board and she, I don't even know how to explain it. She was, it was almost just like this weight had been lifted off. And then I finally had someone that completely understood what I was doing for the first time and wasn't scared of it. And wasn't, you know, for themselves, she wasn't scared of any risk for her. She she was completely on board. That's amazing. What a what an answer to your prayers. Yes, definitely. So I call her my unicorn. She's my unicorn midwife. <laughs> <laughs> she was hidden in this wonderful land of Waco, I guess. And she's just, she's a true believer in um, women having the right to choose how they bring their babies into this world. I love it. So I, uh, after I got done with the meeting with a Waco midwife, I called the Abilene midwife that I had been doing some co-care with and was kind of helping me navigate things and figuring things out. And uh, she told me something that has always stuck with me and I think was a big moment in my journey. And what she told me was not to choose her out of convenience because at this point I was 
debating whether I wanted to go with the local midwife, but she didn't have, uh, she was a newer midwife. She didn't have breach experience. Um, and she did have some, you know, back and forth reservations about taking me on. And so she told me, don't choose me out of convenience. You've worked this hard. Go with who you feel most comfortable with and who you think you have the best odds with. And her saying that just really made me realize that I don't need to do what's convenient. And convenient would have been mm. just going with her um, and just keeping it a little bit simpler instead of, you know, relocating, relocating my whole family and, you know, trying to figure out how yeah. to navigate my husband still working and me being down there by myself, possibly. So at this point, I finally had what felt like a plan. And so I told the local midwife that I think I wanted to go with the midwife in Waco, which I, I want to add that how I found the midwife in Waco was through a string of midwives. So I contacted one midwife who got me in contact with another midwife who got me in contact with another midwife. And that's how I finally found the midwife in Waco. Wow. So it's always good to connect with people and, you know, if they can't help you, you know, maybe they might know someone that can. For sure. Yeah. That's great. So from about 24 weeks till 30 weeks, I was on cloud nine. I finally had it all figured out. We were going to go to Waco and we we're going to have this baby and it was going to be amazing. I was already looking at Airbnbs. The midwife actually helped me find one that her client owned. Um, and so I connected with them and reserved my Airbnb. We actually reserved it from uh, when I was 37 weeks until 42 weeks. So I reserved it for about a month. Oh, wow. Yes. Because um, we weren't sure. I I know what I was comfortable with, and that was not trying to rush down there when I went into labor because I knew how fast my first labor went. And I wanted to just be, you know, not stressed, settled in. And then when it happened, it happened. So 30 weeks came along, um, and this was going to be my second appointment with uh, the Waco midwife. We're driving to Waco. Everything is going perfect. Um, my husband had recently had some hiccups at work and he was kind of on, I guess, leave. It was like unpaid leave. Hmm. And he ended up calling his uh, boss while we were on our way to Waco and they ended up firing him. Oh, wow. And so it was like just another part of the roller coaster ride. I thought I finally had all my plans figured out. And now my husband lost his job and his job was going to work with him on him being down in Waco with us during the birth. And now that was all, all those plans were gone. So when we got to the, the appointment with the midwife, uh, we were a little bit flustered and we were worked up. And so, of course, my vitals showed that. Um, I seemed stressed and anxious and the midwife noted that. And so this time I was actually meeting with a different midwife than the one I originally met with because they're kind of a team. 
and I didn't really think much about the appointment. I thought it went pretty good until I had my next appointment with them. So I was going to Waco uh, for one appointment, and then the next appointment, I would see the local midwife. So I was doing this co-care, so I wouldn't have to drive as much. But at 34 weeks and four days, I had drove back to Waco with my husband, and we had our uh, second official appointment. And the midwife came in and she told me, we're going to have to have a hard talk. And I was like, okay. And she told me that I was too stressed. I was too worried the last appointment. Um, and they, they think that me having my baby in the hospital in Abilene would be the best for me. And I just <sighs> shut down. And I just was taken back. I didn't expect that at all. And I was just confused. And then my husband starts kind of explaining things. And then we find out it was honestly a miscommunication. The The other midwife that met with us last time, I guess, didn't, it didn't register with her about the whole job situation or it didn't get, I guess, put in the notes or anything like that. And so it didn't get communicated with our actual midwife of what was going on. And she admitted, you know, I only skimmed the notes and I saw that you were messaging us asking for, you know, some help with anxiety and stuff like that. And they had given me a, a passion flower tincture to help with that. And so she was just kind of, I guess, partly out of the loop when she had this talk with me. And then Tyler and I really like explained everything out to her and like told her like, no, we're still a hundred percent committed to this. Like we got our Airbnb booked. We're already starting to pack stuff. Like we're figuring out the work situation, um, which I'll add. My husband is awesome. He got a job, a new job within less than two weeks. He has a CDL. So that helps. Awesome. Yes. Um, yeah. So that appointment just really like took us back. And, but luckily we got it all cleared up and it seemed like everything was okay. And she's like, okay, well, you know, that, that all makes sense now. I'll keep you on. Um, we'll go forward with the plan. But of course now I had these doubts in my mind, like, you know, what is she going to do this? The next appointment, am I going to get down to Waco? And then she's just going to like decide that yeah. she's not going to work with me. So now I had these, you know, new fears coming up. Like maybe my plan isn't as solid as I thought it was. So my, my pregnancy, I, I focus a lot on stress reduction. Um, I can't express how important that is during pregnancy to keep your stress low and to manage it. You know, really connecting with your body and realizing how stressed you are and realizing that it has an effect on your baby and then taking hold of that. And, you know, whether it's adding in, you know, meditation or supplements are you know herbs getting out in nature whatever you got to do to reduce your stress stress during pregnancy i promise you it will have a huge effect on the outcomes of your birth so after that appointment that's honestly what i was focusing a lot on was just keeping that stress low keeping everything as mild as i could because it had been a journey at this point and it just still felt like nothing was solid. 
which to me is uh, unsettling. I'm someone that I like, I like to plan. I like structure. And I didn't feel like I had much of that at all with this, this pregnancy. Yeah. Especially it's like night and day two from my first birth. I was just carefree and just like, I read plenty of birthing books and did research then, but it was nothing compared to my second birth. But it, it was all worth it. Like I'll, I'll never backtrack on what happened and all the stuff that I went through. It was a hundred percent worth it to me. Um, and so at 37 weeks and two days, we packed up and we relocated to Waco. So, which it actually worked out because my, my mom and my family and my husband's family are all about an hour and a half from Waco. So I actually had my mom and my mother-in-law take turns staying with me and my oldest daughter. Nice. Yeah. So it, we call it our vacation. So from 37 <laughs> weeks on, and then about two weeks postpartum, I had a vacation where it was just hanging out in Waco, going to all the different things, seeing everything, uh, enjoying time with family. It was a true, true blessing to have that experience. Um, so once we got to Waco, we kind of settled in. Um, I had like a maternity photo session that was in the heat. We're talking about end of August. So it was like blazing hot here in Texas. Oof. And so we had with our toddler, it probably took us a little over four hours to finally get down to Waco and then immediately had that maternity photo session. And the next day I woke up, um, feeling fine. And then later in the day, I started to kind of feel a little off. And so I started to check my blood pressure and my blood pressure was like going crazy high. Uh oh. And so I started to kind of freak out a little bit. I was like, okay, let me figure out why this might be going on. And I'm pretty sure it started because I was dehydrated. Oh, uh, we had man. been out in the heat the, the day before. And then that morning we had gone to the farmer's market and I was just really overexerting myself. And so I let my midwife know. I actually contacted my uh, Abilene midwife first and told her just for the fact of what had happened our last visit with the Waco midwife. I didn't want her to think I was blowing things out of proportion or anything like that. Yeah. So I told the Abilene midwife and she told me just kind of keep an eye on it. And so I immediately started like implementing the brewer's diet type stuff, um, doing as much as I thought I could to kind of get things level out. So increasing my protein, making sure I'm getting enough fluids with electrolytes. Um, and it ended up leveling out and everything was okay, but it was just one of those things again, like stress combined with overexerting my body and, you know, really not taking care of myself when we first got to Waco was kind of showing up as the form of, um, high blood pressure and really was my sign that I needed to take it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So after that, I really did. We just kind of milled around in Waco, had a good time. And um, I started having some contractions and they felt a little more than Braxton Hicks. And I was about, I was probably 39 and two or three at this point. And I remember sitting in this steakhouse in Waco with my family 
my husband was actually still at work. So he was in Abilene. And I remember just sitting there having these strong contractions, just like, I have this little secret that I'm about to have a baby and no one else knows it right now. Cause I hadn't told anyone that I was having these strong contractions. And it was almost like, I don't know, mine and my baby's little secret, like you're about to go. Oh. And it, it was a, it was such, it's such a vivid moment to me just sitting in that steakhouse, just thinking about like how I worked so hard for this moment and now it's all starting to come together and it's all working out perfect. And I still had concerns that baby would come when my husband was at work. So he was working six days on two days off. So we were away from each other for a week at a time. And, um, luckily I, I talked a lot to my baby. So I wrote in a journal for both of my pregnancies and I also made time to actively talk to my babies while they were in my belly. And I would talk to my second a lot about making sure daddy was here when she decided to make her way and whether that had an effect on everything or not I don't know but she listened um so my husband came down and because I had told him I was like okay I think things are going to be coming you know coming on pretty soon like I feel different uh I feel a little more aggravated (laughs) I feel like like a little bit out of it so he went ahead and came and um it was I think the night before I had her I woke up to some pretty strong contractions and I was like okay it's go time and I felt kind of a gush come out and I was like oh my water broke it really is go time okay we're doing this thing and I reached down and I touch down there and then I get my phone and I shine and it's nothing but blood. And so I'm like trying to keep myself from freaking out. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh my gosh, something's wrong. And I wake my husband up and he's like, well, I don't know anything either. Like we need to call the midwives. So we, we call her luckily one of the midwives lived right down the road from our Airbnb. And so she came pretty quickly. Um, and checked me out and I'll never forget that before she did my vaginal exam, she saw me shaking out of fear and she asked if she could pray with me. And so she prayed over me and my baby and my family. And luckily everything was okay. Mm. She did the exam. And she said, I think you just, you know, you had a big um, change in your cervix. And so you just lost your mucus plug. And so I didn't experience that with my first. And so that was something totally new to me. And I knew it was a thing, but I didn't expect it to look like that much blood. And so I'm so glad that I called her and she came quickly and kind of settled everything down. And she checked on baby. Baby was perfectly fine. Um, and she suggested that we try to go back to sleep, get some rest, and that more than likely I was going to have a baby today. 
So that's what we did. Uh, this was probably about five o'clock in the morning, four or five o'clock in the morning. And then we got up probably about nine or 10 o'clock. And when I would lay down, my contractions would come on. But as soon as I got up and start moving around, they'd go away. And so I was like, okay, she's not ready yet, but let's see if I can kind of work her into it. So the most that I did was I went out and did some curb walking, uh, bounced on the ball. Um, I knew I didn't want any type of induction, even if it was like natural induction, except what I could do myself with my body. And it just like, I felt like I was never going to go into like full blown active labor because it kind of come on and then go away and come on and go away. And so at that point I was getting aggravated with it. Like, okay, something's got to give. And so that day ended and it was, um, the following night. And, uh, I woke up again around three or four in the morning, having some pretty intense contractions, kind of laid there for a while. And again, as soon as I got up and started doing stuff, they went away. So I decided I was going to get a massage. I was like, okay, I just need to kind of relax and let baby do its thing. And eventually she's going to come. Like it may not be when I want her to come, but she's going to come. And so I was also getting kind of nervous because my husband was going to go back to work soon. So this was the day before he was supposed to head back to work. And so I was like, okay, well, what can I do to maybe help things along without like being like intervening in a way? And yeah. so I scheduled a massage. And so I went and had this massage. It was wonderful. And then before I could even leave the building, things picked up, like really picked up. Nice. And I was like, okay, we, we got something going now. Let's, let's go with this momentum. And so we actually went to a pizza place and we picked up some pizza. My husband went inside. I stayed in the car and I'm sitting in the car waiting for him, just having like these full blown contractions, just like in the middle of this parking uh. lot, <laughs> just waiting for some pizza. And, uh, nice. He finally comes back and he's like, are you good? I was like, I'm good. I just, I think that massage might have worked. <laughs> nice. We get back to the house and it was so funny. I'm sitting there eating my pizza and then all of a sudden I have a contraction. And like, it was my mom, my mother-in-law, my husband, and my toddler were all there. And so we're all sitting, sitting eating some pizza. And then I just have this contraction. And they'd all just like sit there and stare at me and I'd be done and I'd keep eating my pizza. <laughs> and then it happened again. And I, I was like, why are y'all staring at me? Like, like just trying to have a baby and eat some pizza. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, we don't know how to respond to this. Cause this is all new for all of us. <laughs> and then of course what happened last time, they're like, okay, is everything good? Like she fine. And uh, I called the midwife. And told her that things had gotten pretty close together. I was probably having a contraction about every five minutes. Um, and then I called her probably 30 minutes after that. And I was like, okay, now it's probably about every like three minutes, maybe two minutes. And she's like, oh, wow, okay. Uh, so she heads over and she texts me. And the first thing she says is, baby's heart rate is a little low. Uh, let me turn you on your side. And so she did. When she turned me on the side, everything was normal. Uh, so baby just didn't like me being on my back. 
And she asked if she could do a cervical exam. And I told her that was fine. And she checked me and she looked at me and she's like, you don't have the urge to push, do you? <laughs> No, <laughs> why? And she's like, because you're complete. I was like, what? She's like, girl, you're complete. Like, I love it. fully effaced and you're 10 centimeters dilated. She's like, please don't push. <laughs> she's like, another midwife here. And so we're like, okay, awesome. It's go time. So we start like filling up the pool with the water. And um, my daughter was in there with us. And I have pictures of us just like me going through contractions and playing with her on the bed and, you know, dancing around, having an awesome time while the midwife got everything set up. And eventually the other midwife, the main midwife, um, she showed up and she didn't believe the first midwife. And she's like, I know you don't really want very many uh, vaginal exams, but um, this other midwife, she's a little bit new. So I just would like to double check to make sure she was correct on her assessment. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And she was like, oh my gosh. She's like, you're not acting like you're complete, but you're complete. <laughs> She's like, are you, you don't feel like you need to push? I was like, no. I was like, I really don't feel like I need to push. I was like, baby feels low, but I don't need to push. And so at that point, it was kind of just like a waiting game. Like we knew it was go time. It was just a matter of when was it going to be pushing time. Yeah. And so my contractions, they were a lot like my first birth, um, you know, have the contraction and come out, just be talking, joking around, playing with my daughter. And it all just felt so magical and perfect again. Nice. And I finally got to get into the birthing pool. And so I had always imagined I was going to birth my baby in the pool. Um, but the water, I think, was too hot. And so Okay. it it wasn't quite working out like I had hoped to. Every time I would get in the pool, my contractions would completely stop. Hmm. Like I'd get there and for like five minutes, like I was having contractions every two minutes and then I'd get in the pool and then like they would just they'd go away. Or if I did have them, they were like super, super mild. Like they weren't actually doing anything. And so my midwife was like, well, maybe it's because it's too hot or maybe it's because you're just getting too relaxed in the pool and we need to get you up and you know moving around a little bit more. So at first I was like, no, nah, I want to keep trying the pool. Let me just keep trying. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, this is kind of feeling counterproductive. So I hopped Yeah. out the pool and I was out of the pool for probably 10 minutes and then things came back full force again. And uh, the midwife told me, I know you're not really feeling like you need to push, but I think we should probably start pushing. Because um, some, sometimes you just, you don't have that feeling. Yeah, let's just go ahead and have a baby. <laughs> Yeah. And um, so for a while I kind of tried to push and it just didn't feel right. It's just, I don't know, something it just felt like there was kind of a barrier. And so my midwife sat down with me and she was like, is there anything on your mind? Like, is there anything you want to talk out? And I sat and I thought about it for a minute and I was like, I don't think it's an ad, like an obvious fear, but I think it's in the back of my head that I'm worried about rupturing. Like I'm, I still have that fear. Yeah, yeah. And she told me, she's girl, 
you're far past that point. She's like, I will, she's like, I understand why you're worried about that. She's like, but if that was going to happen, it was going to happen. Like, let's push this baby out. You got this. And so she really pumped me up. And so nice. I, uh, started really trying to push, focusing on it. Um, I did have a hard time uh, channeling my pushing. Um, so I'm a very vocal person. And so I'll, I was having a lot of that energy come out through vocalization. And so the midwife would tell me, okay, let's focus on getting that energy down to that cervix, down to that uterus and really focus on pushing that baby. And so I tried lots of different positions and, uh, I ended up having her on hands and knees. And so I pushed her, pushed her out. The very first person to touch our baby was her father. He caught her and we actually didn't know the gender. So my thought process behind that was if things did went wrong, like if I had to get transferred, I would still have, have something positive to look towards and which was finding out the gender of my baby. And so we had her, um, my husband caught her and then he immediately gave her to me through my legs and I saw she was a little girl and I just started bawling. I have two beautiful little girls. Oh, and the, you the did it. Yes, I did it. And so I actually have a, a birth video. And the first thing that I said was, I did it. I did it. Yeah. And I'm just like, they lean me back on my back and they're checking everything out. Baby's good. Baby's crying nice and loud, pooping like crazy. I, that baby pooped so much. It was insane. <laughs> she had lots of meconium um and everything was I mean it it was the experience that you know I dreamed of having my baby surrounded by the people I love holding my mother-in-law's hand while I pushed and my sister and my mom in the room and my toddler's in bed sleeping and she's gonna oh. wake up to this new sister and having my husband there supporting me wholly and completely and having these midwives that just sat back, monitored every so often, making sure baby was good and really just kind of sat in the corner and hung out with my family most of the time and let me and Tyler have the room to ourselves a lot of the time, my husband, Tyler. Wow. And, that's so awesome. Yeah. And so we, we did delayed cord camp, clamping um, immediately, put her to my breast. Uh, she did have a little bit of some issues with nursing. Uh, she had some ties. And we got those worked up later. Um, but it, it was a night and day difference with my first birth. I know some people wow. say that like the shakes are normal after you give birth. I didn't have any types of shakes or anything with my second. It was just a pure blissful experience and it you know after you work so so hard for something and at the end of it you get this beautiful perfect little baby I mean it I do it all over 100 times again you're such an amazing example of you know advocating for yourself and doing the research finding out exactly what you wanted and then going for it I mean doing everything you possibly needed to do to get that to get the outcome that you wanted 
And that's exactly what you got. And that's so amazing. Yes, it's it's something that I, I hope everyone really takes from that. You know, you can get kicked down again and again and again. But if you know what's right and you know what's best for you and your family, there's a, a way to make it work. Just keep working at it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing your story um, with all of us. Just to, you know, just to, your perseverance and resilience through all the no's and everything. I mean, is quite an example to all of us to to really fight for what you want because you can do it. Yes, I, I hope everyone takes home the message of it's it's okay to be told no, but that doesn't mean you have to accept that no. And honestly, out of this, it has really evoked a passion in me to help pregnant women and particularly women in general, um, to advocate for them and to support them. And I learned a lot just through my journey, my health experiences through my pregnancy that I've actually decided that, uh, with my, my nutrition practice that I want to work with pregnant women and I'm actually, um, working to, uh, deepen my knowledge on pregnancy nutrition and lifestyle changes, because I truly believe if you take care of your body, you take care of your mind, it will help you get the birth that you want and that you deserve. Amen. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you for that work. And that that's, that's great that you're delving into that so that you can help others like you. That's amazing. Yeah. And thank you, Madon, for giving me this platform to be able to share my experiences. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure the listeners, though, <laughs> I've got a lot out of listening to your story and I know that they will get a lot out of it as well. And so I really thank you for coming on and sharing and uh, look forward to talking with you more in the future. And uh, do you want to maybe share um, <clears throat> just a little where people could reach you at or um, your nutrition? Um, do you have a website? Yeah, you can find me at Greenbrier Nutrition and Wellness. So I'm on Instagram. Facebook, and I have a website. Um, I'm hoping to start taking um, a few more clients pretty soon. So if anyone's interested in working with me as a nutritionist, I'd love to work with you. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Great. I'm so glad that you have that to share um, with everybody, and I'll, I'll point everybody in your direction. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your Creator, so be who He created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time. Shalom.